Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey guys, it's Candice and Kayla, and we are Directionally Challenged. Yep, we thought we would have it all figured out by the time we were in our 30s. But surprise, we don't. We don't. That's okay. (laughs) It is okay. It's absolutely okay that we don't have it all figured out. The more we do this, the more I'm realizing that maybe no one has it all figured out. Except for our guest today. I do think she might have it somewhat figured out. Candace, how's your meditating yes. process been going lately? <laughs> um, I don't meditate. I don't meditate. I'm so tired. I'm just holding on by a thread. And I realize that so many others are too. You know, it's just mm-hmm. like... I. I know that I'm not unique in saying that I thought 2020 was a hell of a year. And then and then I was like, 2021 is going to be easier. And it's like, nope, it, it hasn't been. And we're, you know, there's Christmas trees already at the mall. And I'm like, holy it's shiitake it. mushrooms. Mm-hmm. We're almost at the end of 2021. And it's it's what a wild ride these last two years have been. And so, no, I have not been meditating. Instead, I've been drinking wine and watching The Real Housewives which has become my meditation. And um, and then I eat a lot of ice cream 
when I get stressed out because they have real great ice cream here in Nashville. Tell and me it's better than that honey lavender crap you ate all the hey, time. Hey, that honey lavender is delicious. And funny enough, that was Florence's favorite flavor. <laughs> She's Florence a can bougie. Have it. She can do no wrong in my mind. A bougie little five-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, it is. I, I have not figured out, especially I forgot how hard that first year of having a baby is and mm-hmm. how, you know, taking any time for yourself just feels like on one hand really great and on the other hand like I feel very guilty um how are you are you meditating are are you I know it comes in and out of your practice but you grew up meditating um which is so beautiful if you for any listeners that don't know that can you share a little bit about your history with meditating? you guys my mom is a therapist and I am one of those lucky kids who grew up with a mom as a therapist who didn't push it on me but had all the benefits of it so she would take me through visualizations whenever I asked for them She would give me books on meditation, be really open to it, but also put no pressure on us to do any of it. So I always was very aware of it and open to it, but never felt the pressure of having to do specific things. Now as an adult, I really feel the benefit of it. I love meditating. Obviously, some days it's really hard for to clear my mind. Other days it feels very easy and simple. And I'm like Joe, who just falls asleep right away. I'm snap right into my meditation and it really helps me. So, you know, I'm an, uh, that to me has been such a benefit in life to be able to clear my mind. That's why Candace, I push it on you all the time. I think it has so many benefits to it. Um, but how have I been doing lately? Let's see. When you say lately, I mean this week. I haven't done it. Well, it's Monday, but I haven't done it in the past three days. And I'm <laughs> feeling a little bit um, my higher stress because of it. But yeah, I, about a few times a week, I'm able to do it. And I do feel the difference in it. Um, but would you say you're the exception, though? I mean, you, I mean, I guess, right. but I don't want to be like, oh, my God, I'm so good at this. And that because the truth is, I do struggle with it, too. I no, just but know that, the benefits of it. You know what I but mean? You, because you've also it's been in your practice for a long time. And I think right. that I mean, just separately, I, I feel like I hear what you're getting at. And I think it's actually nice for people to hear that you had success with it, because that's the whole issue yes. is if you didn't grow up with it, you don't reap the benefits. And obviously that's what, you know, Dr. Jaw is trying to say throughout all this whole conversation coming up. Do you feel like after all these years that you still can reap any benefits from meditating? There are times when I can sit down for 20 minutes and really clear my mind without sound and feel like a new person afterwards. Just lay on the bed, relax and get there. And that's amazing. That doesn't always happen, but it's amazing when it does. And that, but I, I hear you when you say those things and the benefits that you see in your life. And I think that that's why whenever we have a conversation about either meditation or mindfulness that I am drawn to it, I'm drawn to that idea. And I, (laughs) I'm hoping that there's like another way, you know, through to achieve mindfulness without meditation. So that's why I'm excited to talk with our guests today. Candice, you are so excited. And as am I. Today, we are going to sit down with Dr. Amishi Ja. She is a professor of psychology at the University of Miami. She serves as the director of contemplative neuroscience for the Mindfulness Research and Practice Initiative, which she co-founded in 2010. 
She received her PhD from the University of California, Davis, and postdoctoral training at the Brain Imaging and Analysis Center at Duke University. Dr. Jaw's work has been featured at NATO, the World Economic Forum, and the Pentagon. She has received coverage in the New York Times, NPR, Time, Forbes, and so much more. She's also presented her work for the Dalai Lama, NATO, and the Pentagon. Her TED Talk on how to tame your wandering mind has over 5 million views, and her book, Pink Mind, is available now wherever books are sold. Without further ado, we are going to get some great advice from Dr. Amishi Ja. And we are back with Dr. Amishi Ja. So I know we're talking mindfulness today, but the reality is, is like I'm here. You know, I am, quote unquote, present, you know, among in this conversation. But in reality, in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, there is that giant pile of dirty laundry that I forgot and I left right in the middle of my bathroom. And I did not make that reservation for that pasta place I wanted to go to in New York in a couple of weeks. And did I give my nanny the key to the car? Because I think that they're going to go to like a playground today, but she needs to get the car seat from my car. And oh gosh, if I had too much caffeine today, maybe not. And what are we going to have for dinner tonight? But I'm here. I'm present in this conversation. (laughs) And so that's how my brain works a majority of the day. And I'm just constantly wondering, like, is it is that a product of social media and instant gratification and 24-7 news cycle? Or am I just broken inside? And you can totally just say that I'm broken and we can call this whole interview over. (laughs) No. Episode's done. Bye. (laughs) No, of course you're not broken. In fact, you know, it's uh, at first I thought you were listening in on my inner dialogue. So (laughs) this is very human, very common. And our brains were built for that sort of distractibility. When what I mean by that, by built, I don't mean there was somebody physically building it, but the processes and pressures of evolution led us, led to the design of this brain so that the way we are now, including our inner dialogue, including our, our uh, distracted mind, is the success story of our evolution. And we don't often think of it that way. We all, often think that there's some flaw or there's something fundamentally wrong because we're feeling pulled in 50 directions. Now, you know, when I started writing this book, Peak Mind, I actually <laughs> I was not confident yet that this actually isn't amplified by our current day and age. And I found some, I started digging into sort of the, what are the early conversations regarding attention and distractibility? Because in some sense, you know, as you said, we're going to talk mindfulness. Mindfulness has been around for 2,500 years. This is not a new thing. The only thing that's new about it is we're applying the technologies of modern science to interrogate this very ancient form of meditation practice, and we're applying it to modern day problems. But one of the things I found that I thought was so interesting is medieval monks, medieval monks in Europe, you know, at a time when uh, being a monastic was was a difficult thing. It still probably is going into their monasteries and uh, dedicating their lives to prayer and and actually writing long diatribes on how the mind was not cooperating. I'm supposed to be praying, but I'm thinking about lunch or I'm thinking about my family. And so then they would like stop having family relationships. And they still complained that their mind was not their own. They could not focus on what they were trying to do. So Candace, in some sense, the inner dialogue obviously has changed. We're not preoccupied about the kinds of things that medieval monks were preoccupied about, but the notion that our mind still is all over the place constantly is the same. 
It's so funny because even as we're having this conversation, I'm like, okay, focus, be in the moment, <laughs> listen to what she's saying. And sometimes when you tell yourself to do something, you want to do anything but that. And um, so I know in your lab at the University of Miami, the Jaw Lab, you guys launched the first ever study to offer mindfulness tools to active duty military service members Damn. as they prepared for deployment. Can you talk to us about what you discovered? Because it's so fascinating to me. Oh, yeah. 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 And it's actually, you know, exactly what, what Candace was describing about this kind of ongoing dialogue. It ends up that our minds are distracted in this way about 50% of our waking moments. And we know this from 50, five, five zero. zero, 50%. Yes. And so wow. think about it. I mean, I love the way you just to go back to what you were saying a moment ago, Candace, like I'm here, but then I'm not here. And then I'm here. And then I'm not here. Right. We take these, you're, you, even I could never tell by the look on your face. I think right now, you know, others can't see us, but you look very focused. <laughs> the fact that all this is going on in the background, nobody would know. And that's sort of what I mean by this 50%. We journey away half the time, even with our full intention to be present. And that's what I was saying is evolutionarily uh, uh, selected for th that kind of distractibility. And we can talk about why that is, but it ends up that that 50% number goes up under stressful circumstances. So now the normal amount of inner dialogue and distractibility that pulls us away from the moment, which actually does correspond to errors in what we do, you know, it corresponds with problems perceiving things in the environment. It corresponds with decision-making troubles. So, you know, right now, if, if I just, you know, you, let's say you really were preoccupied, you really didn't, you really didn't give the key to the nanny and now you're really worried about it. Mm -hmm. Even as I'm talking, probably it's going to, your attention will get pulled so much that you might miss something I'm saying. And then you'd ask me a question. And I'd be like, I just answer that. Who yeah. are you? Right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it that rudely, but <laughs> point is for us, we know what that feels like in the interpersonal context for service members. It can be life or death. If they miss something, if they're on patrol and they're not there, it's really problematic. So, and we knew this before we even started working with military service members that over high stress intervals, and by the way, early parent, even pregnancy and then parenthood is a high stress interval. Uh, lots of change, lots of demand, unending, low sleep. I mean, there's a lot of parallels between deployment and, and being a new parent, frankly. But um, we knew this because we'd have people come into the lab, we'd give them a whole bunch of attention tasks, and then we'd have them come back four to eight weeks later, give them the same tasks. And in that intervening time, there'd be some stressful thing that they'd have to endure. So students in the academic semester, pre-deployment soldiers, even athletes that were enduring um, preseason training. This is a study we did with the football team. So the actual game time hasn't even begun yet. You know, students aren't in exam season yet. They're just going through the semester. Soldiers aren't deployed yet. They're just preparing for deployment. And, and even football players are just preparing to get ready for the playing season. But that's an intensive period of time. And when we compared their performance at the beginning of that four to eight week interval and at the end, they were all significantly worse. So high stress, meaning demanding intervals will degrade our attention. And, and then they're going to be off at a war zone, right? I mean, so when we talk back to service members, so we were up against a lot and I was very interested in figuring out if there was something we could do about it. And frankly, my interest in this whole topic began because I, as a new mom, my kid was, my son was not even three years old felt that same distractibility. Like, I'm not here. You know, it was like, I'm not here and I probably should be here. I mean, I, I wanted to have a child and be a mother because I wanted it. I wanted that life. So I saw a lot of parallels between needing, uh, not being able to grasp our attention, 
distractibility, stress, and then consequences for that. So just to wrap up with the question you asked about military service members, we tried a lot of different things and it ended up that mindfulness training, meaning they did about 12 to 15 minutes of practice during this intervening interval. And those that did that practice did not decline in their attention. So if you did nothing at all, everybody declines. And if you give them mindfulness training and they practice, they stay steady in their attention over time, even though their colleagues that didn't practice or didn't get the training decline, which gives us a lot of hope that there's something we can do to train our attention and almost have sort of like a mental armor. So mm. I always need things kind of broken down to me as if like I'm like the, being talked to me as if I'm a five-year-old, just like I would talk to my <laughs> five-year-old. So what I'm gathering is it's the idea is you want to supply um the general whoever reads your book or whoever's struggling with mindfulness give them the toolbox so that that they can have a practice that they go to so that they do not get as overwhelmed by tasks at hand or so they're able to calm their their levels at a certain point i mean i understand what you're saying that Basically, you would sit down with either a sports team before they go into like heavy, heavy training or like, how does it relate to regular people? Is that what yeah, you're Yeah, sort of I guess asking? that's where I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the how is the hard part. It's like we understand what mindfulness is and we understand that it works, but implementing it into our lives. Oh, yeah. What is this yeah. te- technique or what well, are some of the techniques? Yeah, no, both great questions. So let me just back up because I think we kind of jump. It feels to me like I'm jumping into the middle instead of giving a little background, even about me, that might be helpful. So I'm not a, I, you know, it's funny that we're talking about mindfulness as the central point. Mindfulness was not the central point for me. I'm an attention researcher. I'm a neuroscientist who studies attention. And it ends up that this thing called attention, obviously we need it, right? We just talked about that 50% issue, but we need it for things that you might be surprised by. So our attention really is like a fuel for our capacity to do things like think. So take in information deliberate decisions, make decisions, you know, take action, but it's also needed for things like emotion regulation. And it's also needed for things like connection. So in some sense, now when we start thinking of attention as a fuel, we see it's needed for so many different things and stress is going to start diminishing it, mostly because it's getting hijacked away. So even at the top of our conversation, talking about where the mind goes, notice all those things that that um, were mentioned, that Candace mentioned in her, her revealing to us the stream of consciousness, were really not about the present moment. It was either a preoccupation about the future, or it was potentially something about the past, like, oh, did I leave the thing plugged in that I shouldn't have? Or will this person be able to get into my house? Because So essentially, that is what attention allows us to do. Our attention can be right here and right now. But it can be a beautiful, it allows us for a beautiful capacity to mentally time travel so that we can reflect on the past and learn from it or plan for the future. But we can get in a situation where that bouncing back and forth in time exhausts us because our attention is there. Yeah. Exhausts and overwhelms. And then when we need to actually be in the present moment, it's not here anymore. So again, I came in as an attention researcher who had just a very practical interest in how do you make the system stronger? Because we know what it's up against. And we know that things like stress, long periods of stress, or even short periods of stress, threat, poor mood, these will all just completely evaporate our capacity to pay attention. So I wasn't so much interested in mindfulness per se. I just wanted a solution to make our attention better. And then mindfulness ended up being one of the only things that actually helped, um, which I think we should definitely talk about. Like, why does mindfulness help? And, and you know, 
just to kind of uh, make sure we're on the same page, you know, mindfulness to me as a brain training tool for attention had a very specific purpose. It was not to achieve enlightenment. It wasn't even to feel better. It was to get people to be more attentive. Now, I thought they probably would feel better if they were more attentive, but the goal was not to calm and relax. It was to be better able to meet the demands that people had, including me. Backstory is fantastic and fascinating. But I think for us, I mean, Candace and I always are this. That's why we made this podcast. We want to try to find things we can implement into our yes, own lives to yeah. help. It's it's funny you mentioned being a new mom and that's what brought you to this study. My daughter's two years, two months. Candace's will be a, a one next month. Oh. So we're both in that sort of, quote unquote, lack of attention. I mean, we are there. We are yes, in it. And so um, <laughs> this can hugely benefit so, both yeah. of us in our lives. Well, the sure. reality and, is, uh, is and, as a society, we've all been in fight or flight mode for the last year and a half, almost two years. And right. so we're in the like pre-deployment. We're in the word deployed, uh, we're deployed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're, you we're know, deployed. it's like, yeah, I think that I, yeah, I was griping about, um, just, I completely forgot and mismanaged my schedule and booked myself for something when I couldn't do it. And I just was like, I don't know what's wrong with me, but, oh, I know because this, I couldn't, I didn't have help here and I didn't have sleep here. And, a you know, a friend of mine was like, yeah, me either. And I'm like, oh yeah, we're all, this is a really chaotic time for everybody right now um which is on one hand really nice that we can all relate <laughs> we're not alone yeah. in those feelings um yeah. but it's also exhausting so in in the kind of playing out like how does this relate to you know yeah. the everyday person listening i think everybody is feeling that like uh, operating at this like high intense level right now even subconsciously if you don't know you are Absolutely. And, you know, this is what I, what surprised me. And, you know, the last two years have really, I've dedicated to, to writing this book. And I was like, I never thought I always wanted to bring what we learned from soldiers and service members, you know, service members, first responders, like high intense groups to everybody. But I never thought that all of us would end up essentially in a, in a kind of deployment, right. right? And it becomes very relevant. And all the things that we saw in the lab, people are expressing to me, cognitive fog, emotion dysregulation, management challenges, you know, just time management challenges. And then at the same time, if you go on any kind of social media, people are talking about crushing it during the pandemic. I was like, don't do that to yourselves. Don't do that to yourselves. <laughs> but just to go back to what I was saying regarding attention and why these feelings we have and the sense of overwhelm we have and that game time feeling of like, we're in it right now. And, you know, I really have a lot of heart for both of you because those are hard days. Having tiny kids and being a professional go-getter do not always go hand in hand. And trying to juggle a thousand things and be able to do it without dropping any of the balls is an impossible expectation that we have for ourselves. I felt that. I felt it so strongly. And I was so out of touch with the fact that I was experiencing so much stress that I had lost feeling in my teeth from grinding. Like, you know, that was my wake up moment. Like, okay, something's weird. I didn't even know it was from stress. I was just like, something's weird. I'm literally walking into the bedroom and trying to talk to my husband. and like, I'm garbled my voice. And I'm like, what is happening? And then the other kind of wake up moment was, was trying to read to my kid, my, my then toddler. And this is something no matter what, and you guys can, both of you can relate to this probably. You got busy days and you got demands, but there's certain things we want to honor as our, as our responsibilities and love as mothers, like reading to my child at night yeah. was, I don't care what I'm doing. That is one thing I'm not going to give up. 
And so I would come home, you know, and I, I, with a rush day, my head all over the place and read to him. And I, at one point I remember I'm reading this book. I probably read it like a hundred times, right? I love the same books over and over. And he like puts his little hand and stops me and looks up and asks me a question about the book. I had no idea what he was talking about. Like it was something on the page and I was totally missing it. So this inner dialogue that was happening while my autopilot was reading the book to him really made me realize I am not here right now. My attention is everywhere but here. And that's not okay. Because right now he's small, safe, I can handle it. And I gonna, if I keep doing this, it's not going to go well for him or me. And so my solution at that point, being an attention researcher, I was like, okay, let's just go hit the literature, <laughs> figure it out. There's got to be a solution. Like, get yourself less distracted. Easy. You know, 10 minutes on you know, Google Scholar and I got this thing. I got this thing sorted out. No, there was nothing in my own uh, field of expertise that could guide me to paying better attention in my life. There was nothing. And so I kind of became like curious about what's out there. And that's where mindfulness entered my lab as not, not even my lab at that point, sorry, my life, like, let's give it a try. And so I found a little book called meditation for beginners. It had a little guided CD. I'm like, okay, this can't hurt. So let me just try it. And things started really shifting, shifting to the point where I was just doing about 15 or 20 minutes a day. I committed to it. I said, okay, look, one thing I know is the brain can change. There is this thing called neuroplasticity. I'm a brain scientist. I know that. I got to just commit to it and commit to it for a long enough period of time that if there is a capacity to change in a beneficial direction, I may feel it. And so I said, okay, I'm going to do this for a couple months. And within probably about four to five weeks, I started feeling different. Like it wasn't like everything, no circumstances had changed, but I noticed that I was clinching my jaw all day. I noticed that when I dropped my son off at daycare, my heart would drop. You know, I noticed that sense of like, there's too much stuff and I can't do it. At first it felt very painful. Like I was becoming more and more aware of the distractibility, but then I could kind of nip it in the bud and catch myself and say, right now, is it important to be writing that grant or responding to that email in my head? when I should be reading to my kid, maybe I can take my attention and bring it back here. And it was at this micro level that it started having an impact on me. And the reason I could cultivate the capacity for that kind of moment to moment monitoring of my mind was because I was practicing. So I hope that kind of makes sense of like how this came into my life, at least for you to understand sort of what my take on it will be. Yeah, absolutely. That's that really makes a lot of sense. I think there's an element here that I struggle with that I'm not sure I'm sure other people do as well. The idea that, you know, you start something like that, like a meditation and you commit for 15 minutes and the first week you're really good yeah. at it. You do it every day on time. Second week, maybe you miss a night and and then but then it's OK. And slowly but surely, it almost becomes the quote unquote diet effect where you you start strong and then it kind of ends up. Yeah just stopping at one point. So how do we make sure that right. it's something that we continue to implement yeah. all the time? Because that's something I struggle with is I'll start something and then it sort of loses steam at some point. Yeah. If I had the real answer to that, you know, I'd, <laughs> I mean, that would be amazing. But here's what I'll have to give you some tips that have been helpful for us and for our, our participants. Yes. So the first thing is, you know, when we started, when, if you go to a public mindfulness course, like if you type in mindfulness and you want to go take a course, that course is probably going to be about eight weeks long, two and a half hours a week, about 45 minutes of homework practice that you're going to be asked to do every day for the eight weeks that you're in the program. Now, 
if you're suffering from chronic pain or you have intractable depression and nothing else is helping, you're going to commit to that because that's your lifeline. It's like, it's like nothing else may be helping and this may help you. This is a program called mindfulness-based stress reduction. And you get the whole eight weeks to meet with a trainer, two and a half hours, 45 minutes, et cetera. And when we started our work with these high pressure, time pressured people, we kind of wanted to triangulate around that prescription because there's so much great data on it. But what we quickly realized is like, nobody's doing a 45 minutes a day. Nobody's doing it. We actually only asked them to do 30 minutes a day. Nobody was doing 30 minutes a day. So then we said, okay, let's just look at the data. This is a research study. Let's ask them, how much did you actually practice? And what we found is that when people are practicing about 12 minutes or more a day, they're benefiting. But if they're doing less than that, they're really not benefiting. So that got me thinking like, okay, look, if that's the reasonable amount that people are willing to do and where we actually see benefits, if that's the minimum effective dose, let's do another study where that's all we give them. Don't bother with this 45 minutes, 30 minutes, 12 minutes. And so we made these 12 minute recordings and we gave them to, the people, to our participants and we just said, do these seven days a week. Every day, 12 minutes, just listen to it, guides you through it, you're done. Really effective. People were willing to engage in the 12 minutes. They didn't do it every day though. They did it about five days a week, four to five days a week, but that was enough to help. Mm, so now yeah. we have like a, a more reasonable prescription. Okay, 12 minutes, five days a week. You know, I've got, I work, let's say I, well, I work all the time, but five days a week, Monday through Friday, I'm going to build it into some part of my routine. That's the key back to your question regarding habit change and habit formation. But I wanted to tell you this other part because initially when we were doing this work, we had no idea. Maybe 12 minutes wasn't going to be it. What if the minimum effective dose was two hours a day? That's sort of a non-starter. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, I could do that, but I'm not going to do that. So then this thing is not going to help me. So the, I, I wanted right. to just say it's reasonable. 12 minutes, I think, is reasonable. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's time to get more in 2024. I know for me, one of my goals is to feel really strong this year. And honestly, so far, so good because that's where 310 Nutrition comes in. It's helping me and our listeners in the new year with protein and super rich food products with so many options and flavors. Right now I have the chocolate bliss and caramel sundae and they are both so (laughs) delicious. I have to hide them from my husband so that he doesn't steal them too. They're a triplex protein blend, plant-based proteins that include pea, brown rice, and pumpkin that leave me feeling full. 310 Nutrition also has a hydrate electrolyte drink mix My favorite is the peach mango flavor. So not only am I hydrating and drinking water, I have an electrolyte blend, vitamin blend, and it's sugar-free. With one stick of hydrate mix into 16 ounces of water, and it can provide the same amount of hydration equal to drinking two to three bottles of water. Thank you. This way I can keep my resolution, keep feeling strong, have greater focus, feel refreshed, and maintain my hydration without having to drink as much. One of my favorite refreshing water enhancers they have is the lemonade flavor. It gives me energy. This one's also sugar-free. It's used with real lemons and it's pH balanced. And this also offers the same hydration as two to three bottles of water. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code CHALLENGED and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 for your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products that you know you'll use and will help you keep your resolution. So go to 310nutrition.com and use the code CHALLENGED right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310-nutrition.com and use code CHALLENGED. It's all the good stuff your body needs in flavors you crave. So be healthier effortlessly. And we're back. It's refreshing to hear you say that it's not because I always get caught up in the, okay, I'm going to drop my kids off at school and then I'm going to come back for 9 a.m. meditation and I'm going to have this perfect routine every single day. And that's just not how I operate. I have to just accept that maybe one day I'll get there, but I'm just not there right now. So even you're saying 12 minutes a day. If you can do it seven days, if you can do it minimum four to five days, it doesn't have to be the exact same time every day. You can work your way up to that if you need to. Definitely. Definitely work your way up to that. That's the first thing. So let's now talk habit formation. How you do this? So first of all, that vision, Candace, of like the most organized person who builds in their self-care routine. Right. Like to me, it's like, I'm going to vomit because I'm like, yeah, I'm never. Right. I set a real low <laughs> bar for myself. I'm not stressed out or you know, yeah, I don't right. spiral every no, day at but, all. I mean, but what I'm saying is like, I love that you said that because that's like most of us, we have this picture of what we think we should be doing. And like, uh, then the reality hits and it seems so far from reality that you just forget the whole thing. So what I would say, the most important thing to do, going back to Kayla's question is, um, get a win every day. What I mean is when you decide to do this, you want to have several weeks where you just like did it, nailed it, did it. And so what does that mean? Don't start with 12 minutes. Literally, if you think you can do four minutes a day, do two minutes a day and yoke it to something that is part of your routine. Now, as, as, as moms of young children, I mean, I know what that's like. I still remember trying to go to the bathroom in the morning, the little 
teeny tiny fingers on the door, the door like are you done yet are you out yet it's just like yeah there is no peace there is no peace so you know be reasonable with yourself but get the two minute win all right so maybe it's right mm. before they wake up and you're after you brush your teeth but before you even go out of the room um maybe it's right after you have your cup of coffee maybe it's right after you drop them off but you're going to come back and do two minutes and and when you do two minutes, I want to get even granular here, okay? Because you can say, oh yeah, I'm going to be this perfect meditator. I'm going to sit down and I'm just going to focus on my breath. And then I'm just going to stay on my breath because I am good at this meditation thing. And then you notice the chatter starts and my mind is somewhere else. Right. And now I'm planning the next vacation or what am I going to make for this? You know, this, that. First of all, totally normal that that happens. There is no clearing the mind. Get that out of your head that you're going to ever clear your mind. The win in the pra practice itself is not that there is no mental chatter. The win is that you notice it. You notice that this is happening. Ah, look at me. I'm talking to myself now. Take your attention. And I often refer to attention as like a flashlight. You focus it. You can direct it. It privileges some information over another. So you're going to take that flashlight that's now off planning the next whatever or reflecting on something that just happened. And you're going to bring it just back to the present moment, back to the breath again. And even if you have to do this a thousand times, that's a thousand wins. So really it's shifting your perspective on it's not that I don't mind wander. It's that I notice it's happening and then I have the power to redirect. So when you're doing the two minutes of practice, that's what you're going to focus on. And if you can do that, and I know you can, that's a win. Then slowly build up so that you're always experiencing. If it feels like, you know, you try to do four and you just couldn't do it, go to three. So that's how we're going to integrate and and really support ourselves to, to integrate it in. The other thing is community. Is there somebody that you can text every day, a friend that say, did my two minutes, did my three minutes? It just, you know how it is. Accountability can really help. And it could be just a symbol. I mean, I had a friend that I would just like text her a little thumbs up symbol, which meant, meant I got my minutes in. And it felt good. Candace, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you. Dr. Jai, you have no idea how many conversations we've had about me trying to get Candace to try meditation. But it, the truth is, it's just not her thing. And that's fine, too. I don't TikTok and I don't meditate. I'm, I've tried both. I can't that's figure right. it so out. I guess it, would be, I guess it would be a question of like, you know, first of all, of course, Candace, you should do only what feels good and supportive for you. And the only reason I would say it entered my lab is because we tried other things. We yeah. tried positivity. We tried brain training. We tried giving people light and sound devices to help them get their attention uh, in better shape. None of it worked. It just didn't work. Wow. So then we're like, okay, well, what, what is the problem? What, what is this distractibility that is causing performance to tank? Uh, that's causing people to make all these errors. It's basically mental time travel. So it's mental time mm. travel, which is this amazingly human capacity, as I was saying a few moments ago, to take that flashlight of attention and direct it, rewind it, the mind and direct it there, or fast forward the mind and direct it there. But we're doing this so often and so seamlessly that we don't even notice it. And then when we do it, sometimes we're not doing it productively. We're not rewinding the mind just to look back and reflect. We're ruminating. Yeah. We're getting stuck. And we're not aware that we're getting stuck. We're just there. Or we're fast forwarding and catastrophizing. So just one more sentence is the training had to be something that would make people aware of their mind wandering and allow them to train it to get back to the present moment. And it ended up that's exactly what mindfulness is. It's paying attention to our present moment experience without a story about it.
but we can train for that. That was the new part. It's not just the idea that you want to be here now. It's that you can train for it to be better able to be here now. So if this was a toolbox, like an emotional and mental toolbox that you're kind of, um, you know, the mindfulness toolbox, you would say meditations like the hammer, you know, or like the or the main screwdriver. Are there any other tools that you noticed that a- others were able to implement that started to help um, beyond meditation? I mean, meditation is just in my mind, just to demystify it. All meditation is, is, is a type of brain training. It's part of the wisdom traditions of the world. It's engaging in any kind of mental practice to cultivate specific mental qualities. So that practice could be Christian or Sufi or Judaic prayer. You know, it could be compassion meditation. It could be transcendental meditation. It could be whatever you want, but you're doing different kinds of things to achieve certain qualities. Now with mindfulness meditation, the aim is to engage in this kind of brain training to be more present centered. So I just want to say that that's all I mean by it. It's, it's, it's the continuous practice is the meditation component. The orientation of mindfulness, which is be in the moment right now without editorializing, without having a story about it, just get the raw data of the moment without the overlay of your view of the moment. That's, that's just, the mind can do that. You can do that right now without ever having heard about mindfulness or ever practicing mindfulness meditation. It's just that that type of mindset is so hard to call up because of this broad and very profound 50% tendency to be all over the place. So like, if it's hard to bring up and under stress, it's even harder to bring up. We got to train for it so we can get it back. Yes, there are things that we can do, but it's almost like little moments of mindfulness that we can sprinkle in throughout the day. Small moments, many times. And we can, we can talk about some of those. Yes, absolutely. I just wanted to um, side note before we get into that. Are there different personality traits or types that are more prone to um, using this mindfulness? I mean, I know a lot of your work has been with yeah. military and medical professionals and then sports athletes. So that to me seems like a broad, uh, different, broad yeah. spectrum of people. Who did you find it worked better with? Did some take to it easier than definitely, others? Definitely. There was definitely differences in who took to it. When we looked at the deployment data, because like I said, there were some people that thought we were completely full of crap, didn't want anything to do with us, and they didn't practice. And then others that were like gung-ho, doing it every day. And those are the ones that benefited. So we're like, what is driving some people practicing or not? We looked at all kinds of things. We looked at personality profiles. We looked at their deployment history. We looked at their stress and anxiety levels. And really the only thing that consistently showed a a willingness, well, there were two things, openness to new experiences. So people that were just willing to kind of give it a try, but it was yoked with the second thing, which I think is very important, the number of prior deployments. People that had been previously deployed and knew what they were up against, knew what they were in for, knew what the battle was going to be in their own mind, were more willing to try something new. And mm-hmm. that's something that we find over and over again, is that people that have actually experienced that kind of strain and resistance of their own mind to certain things, and found that you know they can accept that they're struggling and that what they normally do isn't working, they're usually a little bit more open to, to trying it. But there was another kind of aspect. So that's sort of the personality dimension. And I think a lot of research is still coming out on this. And I'm certainly not trying to, I don't, I'm not getting paid anytime somebody meditates. Like, I don't care. People can do whatever they want. (laughs) But what I do would would say is look at what the resistance is. Because oftentimes when I ask people to practice, including service members, like, Dr. John, this is so boring. Paying attention to my breath. I'd rather do anything else. And then I say like, you know, it is. And that's sort of why we're doing it. Like we're doing it because 
uh, sorry, let's, I don't want to interrupt myself here, actually. They say, can I just do something else? Can I run? Can I do something active? And then I can focus on what's happening right now while I'm doing something active. And I said, absolutely, that's a really cool thing about it. Your mind can be doing present-centered attention while you're running. So don't worry about paying attention to the breath. Pay attention to the movement of your feet every time. Stay in the sensory is the point. Don't start elaborating in your mind and storytelling and mind-wandering. Notice when you're doing that, even while you're running. Stay with the physical sensations of, of the running itself. And they love that. They're like, I can do that. You know, I'm already running. Instead of listening to a podcast or listening to music, I'm going to just try this. And they start right. incorporating it in. The only reason I say, but still try to do a few minutes where you're still and you're doing it. And the reason I say that is because it's a type of distress tolerance. If the resistance to wanting to be still and pay attention to your mind is that the agitation feels so uncomfortable when you notice what's going on in your mind, you'd rather just get out of it and avoid it and do something else. There are going to be so many moments in our life, and I, you know this, but I'll, have, I'll say it to everybody listening, that you can't get out of a very annoying and difficult situation. You're going to have to just take it. You're going to have to be there. And sometimes it's consequential. If you're not paying attention, even when things are very difficult, there could be real problems for you, other people, et cetera. So the ability to show up, even when things feel fear-inducing, threatening, boring, annoying, any name any negative emotional state and be with it without getting dysregulated, very cool thing to do. Because now let's say you're in the middle of a work meeting and somebody pisses you off. You want to punch the wall? <laughs> Probably not. But let's say it's just really anger provoking and you practice this mindful running. You can't take off and go for a run in that moment. <laughs> mm. You've got to be there and be able to tolerate it and maneuver through it to best advantage yourself in the situation. And so you practiced for that because if you can be with what's going on in your head and you know the kind of storms that you can create and you're still steady, receptive, open, present, returning to the breath a thousand times. I guarantee you will be better equipped to deal with any difficulty that arises in your actual life. So adjust for what feels comfortable, but no, just a few minutes of stillness practice will really help. I definitely want to dive more into um, all the ways that we can change our brain to become more attentive and present. But I also want to clarify that not everyone has a brain that works like everyone else's. And so it, as far as you know, whether someone has clinical depression or if you're in postpartum depression or schizophrenia or yeah. bipolar disorder or, or major PTSD or MS, that there are certain like the brain is a very complicated <laughs> organ and um, and that there are some people that need a different form of help and that I just don't want anyone listening to think like, why can't I do this or this is more difficult for me or um or how they can utilize this while also making sure that they're taking care of their um, mental health. Very, very, very mm -hmm. important thing. That, and I'm very glad that you said that because absolutely, this is not a one size fit, fits all. And um, it's also the case that um, any time, and by the way, all those uh, types of, of psychological health profiles, be it ADD, anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, PTSD have been studied in the context of mindfulness. And there's beneficial effects for it. But very important to say, oftentimes they're complemented with some kind of formal clinical therapy or pharmacologics, mm -hmm. and they're done in a very different way. So just to give an example, when we work with people that have active 
uh, adult ADD, we never say start with even 12 minutes a day. It's like start with one minute a day and only walking practice. You're going to do something active and you're going to actually just integrate it into something that you're doing that's active with a small period of time and, and then build up. So that's, that's just in the context of ADD. When it comes to depression, for example, the best form of, of, of um, mindfulness-based programs or something called mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, where there's an integration of cognitive therapy principles with mindfulness practice, where the person offering the training is a clinician. So I think that just to say, absolutely, and the number one rule is take care of yourself. Take care of yourself, but also know in the journey of mindfulness, it's not going to be rainbows and sunshine the first time you start practicing. That part of what we're developing is, is uh, uh, understanding the internal landscape, understanding what our mind is, and at the same time, cultivating this sort of quality of a self-supportive inner friendliness toward our, our attention. It's like, mm -hmm. I'm here for you. You know, my, my attention is serving me in my life. And I, and I don't want to berate myself for where it's going, but more like checking it out. Like, oh, look at that. It's over there. Bring it back. Like, just like if your child and you guys, both, both of you know this as, a, as parents of young children, they're not intending to be malicious. They're just not, their furloughs aren't developed yet. They're not running off to be mean to you. They're just, they don't, you told them a rule and they didn't follow it. And you know that. And the way that you respond to them is, come on, get back over here. You might have to say a thousand times, but you don't get angry. You might get a little irritated, but you're not, you're going to, even that irritation is going to be held in check because you know they're toddlers. But you kind of want to do the same thing with your own mind. You want to hold it in that kind of way that is a caring, understanding, and basically on your side point of view, which I think a lot of us don't often do. It's like we expect something from ourselves, then we don't do it. We get very punitive, self-punitive. So the other thing I wanted to tell you is that in addition to mindfulness practice, one of the things that I do and is part of all of our programs with all these high-stress groups is something called loving-kindness practice. And that often is mm -hmm. integrated in my day with, or in my practice with mindfulness uh, because it kind of cultivates this self-supportive orientation. Can you expand on that more? Because even just as you say that, I, a big smile spreads on my face and I love the idea of uh, being gentle with ourselves throughout all of this and not, and, you know, we talked about having that high expectation, not necessarily having that high expectation, but possibly even enjoying a slice of chocolate cake and just being in the moment and that being my meditation. Are you telling me that that is possible? Oh, definitely enjoy your chocolate cake. Enjoy your <laughs> cup of coffee. And, you know, uh, we were talking a moment ago about when to consider practicing. You'll notice, even if you do like a practice before you have your cup of coffee, you're going to like that cup of coffee. You're going to taste it more, especially if it's good coffee. If it's terrible coffee, sorry about that. But it's not, mm -hmm. this is where we integrate it into our, our lives. The loving kindness practice is actually another kind of formal practice um, that has its own tradition. It's again, part of this 2,500 year old Buddhist inspired approach, which we teach in a kind of doesn't require any worldview. It's completely secular. Um, but the reason that I think it's, people always say like, you want to teach somebody something called loving kindness, like to these hard edged people. And it's, mm -hmm. at first I was a little bit nervous myself, but you know, I'm a hard edged person. I was a total skeptic about mindfulness. I thought it was complete BS. I thought I'd never do it in my life and didn't want anything to do with it. I grew up as an Indian woman, seeing my parents meditate. I was like, yeah, that's for them, not for me. So you know, I, I have a lot, if that's, I don't think Candace, you're that quite as negative as I was <laughs> meditation, but I was pretty no. negative. <laughs> if anything else worked, trust me, I would have done it. Um, but I came to understand, oh, this is actually not what I thought. And it's actually beneficial. 
Well, love and kindness also have that sort of contrary quality. You know, I think of myself as very hard edged and, and I see you both as productive, strong women and many of the professionals that are listening to this uh, podcast, you have extremely high standards and you want it all. You don't want to, you don't want to not have the things that you want in your life. And sure, it's a little bit juggling a lot uh, often can be difficult, but you're not going to reduce your standards. You're not going to lower your standards. So now if we have that kind of a mind where we're clear on what the expectations are, we know what success looks like for us, but we can't enjoy anything about the outward success. That's a pretty bad way to live your life. It's like, it looks like I have everything. And frankly, going back to that moment in my life, it looked like I had a job at a great university. I was running my own lab with a husband that I love, beautiful child, beautiful home we were renovating. Like it's like, check, 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 check. Everything looks great, but I wasn't even there to enjoy it. So, you know, I just want to, you know, request that, that people check that out in their own lives, that often in the chase for the, the external demands and external expectations we have, we forget about the internal experience of it. Can you, can you have success and feel good at the same time? Can you? you know, I didn't think that was possible. I thought these were like, you could either look successful and be successful, or you can actually be happy. There are two, it's a Venn diagram with no overlapping yeah. components. Um, I don't know if this speaks to anything I'm saying speaks to either of you in terms of like sort of the mindset that might be happening, but this is what led me to loving kindness practice too. So, Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. And we're back. The other thing that you've mentioned that I think is fascinating is talking about the idea that we are addicted to thinking. Yeah. And that's that is something that never crossed my mind. We all have our idea of what addiction is, right? And I'm sure that thinking isn't part of that. And so 
I mean, if we think of it in that sense of, oh, we're just it's it's something that we need to train our brains not to do and to not be addicted. I mean, it's it's yes. I'm definitely addicted to thinking. I'm just going to say it. That, so, that is for sure something. Yeah. And, you know, I, the pushback might be like, what's wrong with thinking? I mean, why wouldn't I want to think? Right. Right. So let's even say it's not just like thinking in like a problem solving sense. It's thinking in the sense of what let's breaking it down sort of at the brain level. Thinking is essentially a concept hyperlinked to another concept that you pursue. So a thought stream would be thinking, right? It's like, I have this idea that I'm going to pursue the next thing, or I'm thinking of a contrapoint. That's thinking. Conceptual elaboration is another way to put it. The concept gets elaborated, proliferates throughout the brain as we're, we're mm. doing that. In some sense, thinking is editorializing about something, right? It's like, and when we have an experience, we have to first pass to realize I'm actually thinking this experience instead of being with this experience. So, you know, like I, I, um, I get on this podcast and you both are, I can see your faces now and you have a very stern look on your face. Like you look mean to me and I'm like, Oh no, they just, they don't even want to talk to me. Oh no. What did I do? Was it something I said? Am I just not going, did they, did I not read the show notes of what I was supposed to say? Oh no. You know, I, I can think of a thousand things and really it might just be the screen is frozen. You're not looking at me sternly. I'm not even getting <laughs> input. Right. So, so there's an example of thinking, I had all those thoughts, and now they're going to frame the input I get. So now the next thing you say to me, let's say I missed that you were frozen, and now you start talking to me, I'm like, oh, they're, they're going to be like me. Every word out of their mouths, maybe right. I, this would never happen. You both are lovely human beings. But I'm just saying that this is why thinking can be problematic. It creates a, um, a framework in our mind that biases information processing. Frankly, it, it takes over and hijacks attention. So everything that comes in is biased by that lens. If we could for a moment realize that our thoughts are not facts, like thinking and reality are not the same thing. Thinking is an overlay on top of the experiences that we're actually enduring. So the input should have been just visual input that looks like frozen faces. And then, oh, Amishi had the thought, they might be mad at me. And, and to start unyoking, or what we call defusing or decentering. You know, going back to Candace's question regarding tips, this would be one of them. When you realize this notion of thinking happening and that you feel stuck in a particular view of thinking, distance yourself, almost take a bird's eye view, like look down upon the situation and think, I'm very upset right now. What I, what, I wouldn't use the word I, I would say, use your first name. Talk to yourself in the third person. Amisha's really upset right now. Amisha's feeling confused about this. Whatever it is, that will start pulling you out of the story, the thinking story, and allow you to actually watch what's going on to get more data about the actual situation. So, I mean, I just want to mention there's nothing inherently wrong with thinking, but it can get us into trouble and actually degrade our well-being right. oftentimes. What what would advice would you give to, uh, you know, being in this current state of the world? I mean, it's very, not to say that everyone has this you know, soundtrack that they're constantly thinking in their head of, you know, okay, with my child, they they have a mask on, they don't have a mask on, I'm going to look at the studies. Now yeah. I'm not going to look at the studies. What if I did? What if I sent them to school without their mask? And then they all of a sudden catch COVID and it's my fault? Or what if I send them to school, you know, with a mask on, and then now they're going to have anxiety for the rest of their life about like, being around other kids, you know, in, in germs. And so it's so easy to prophesize at this point, yeah. I think, as a parent or as a human, 
you know, living during COVID times, um, it's really hard to be present because it feels like constantly having to think one or two steps, five, 10 steps ahead. And so that's where I feel like I've really gotten lost since, you know, March of 2020, where this idea of like, okay, I'm just going to think about the right now and be present. I'm constantly anxious about what I don't know is like lying in wait around the corner and whether or not I'm going to be able to handle it. That's the truth. I mean, the truth is we are in this, you know, in in the military context, it's called VUCA. Volatile, V, uncertain, U, complex, C, ambiguous, A. We are in, and that's what wars are. We're in that right now. This is the reality. So the first thing I would say is, it goes back to actually loving kindness. It's true. You are feeling this. So don't fight against the reality that this is the circumstances we're in. Allow and accept, yes, this is a difficult moment. And the next thing I would say is, this this type of planning for the future and, and what ifing different scenarios will be very useful in many ways, and then it won't be. So we can get to the point where we're productively planning, and then we're moving into catastrophizing and worrying. And I think what mindfulness practice, at least for me, has helped me do is realize when the, when I've shifted from one category to the next. It's like thinking about, like even I just was, I traveled to LA, so, and I, it was the first time I left my house basically in two years. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to wear the mask and then I'm going to wear the, this kind of mask here so that it doesn't hurt me while I'm in the plane. Like I'm, I'm living out what I'm going to do. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. what if I have to take off my mask? What if I spill my water on my mask? And I, you know, like, then I'm like, okay, now we're entering <laughs> the unproductive, <laughs> catastrophizing territory. Unfortunately, often we don't know when we're shifting to catastrophizing and we definitely don't know how to get ourselves out of doing it. Yeah. We don't know how to stop. Well, I was just going to say congratulations because you clearly did the first step of knowing when it transitioned. That's the first thing, noticing, right? And this doesn't just come from noticing that I'm catastrophizing. It it comes from just practicing noticing what was happening in my mind moment by moment. So I have to practice that separately to be like, okay, in this moment, I'm noticing I'm shifting in this direction. Oftentimes when we are in that loop of of moving in the direction of planful, future-directed thinking, we're not reflecting on what our mind is doing. We're not taking that bird's eye view to say, ah, look at that. Now she's entered the danger zone where she's just going to dig herself into a hole and not want to leave her house because <laughs> she's terrified of anything that might happen. And when it's for our children, it's even worse because it's like not even our, it's like any kind of anxiety we have about ourselves, it's like a thousandfold because of the uncertainty of, of putting our most precious beings into the world. So these are having heart that this is real. But knowing why I'm, I'm suggesting that we practice this thing called, you know, mindfulness is one tool to get better at noticing what's happening moment to moment. And then do the second thing, which is once you notice your mind is doing that, redirect it back. Redirect it back. That's another thing that you can do to practice. It's, it's just like upper body strength or some other kind of, you know, you, you're, you're really literally practicing that muscle movement over and over again. And you can, and it's not suppressing or denying. In fact, what I usually do if I see myself looping into that catastrophizing is saying, go to the bird's eye view. Look at this. Amishi is a very concerned person. She's feeling a lot of anxiety right now. Like kind of like, oh, like the good friend said, mm. I'm so anxious right now. You'd want to like put your hand on her shoulder and be like, I'm so sorry. It's going to be okay. You want to do something supportive. We don't do that for ourselves. So it's the noticing. It's the heart. And then it's the redirecting back. 
And now all of a sudden we can, we can be planful, productive, responsible, but not tip ourselves into spending out this attentional fuel in destructive ways. These are such amazing techniques. I know there is so there are so many more wonderful techniques in your book, Peak Mind, available now wherever books are sold. Dr. Amishi Jha, thank you so much for joining us and taking us through. Now I'm really hoping Candace will take on meditation. We'll I feel have like to this see. was a we'll setup. Posted. This was a setup, Kayla. <laughs> no, you no, no, of course not. We were only just texting uh-huh. before we got on the. No, I'm joking. Um, so, <laughs> where can our listeners find you on all social media platforms? Yeah, you know, here's one. Can I just say one more thing? I know we're wrapping up on time, but I want to give Absolutely. like I want to yes. give a thirty second practice because Candace, even if you never think about meditation again, try <laughs> this thing. Okay, it's called okay. the stop practice, and I want you to do it every time you're driving anywhere or walking anywhere, and you're stopped. Just give it a try. At least bring me to mind and say she said to do this. Maybe I'll try. So, what is the stop practice? It's actually a mini practice to find your flashlight of attention and kind of get it back for yourself. So it's stop. Literally, whatever momentum you're in, you're in a car, you're stopped. T, take a breath. Just, I'm breathing. One breath. Observe, just with the steadiness of your breath, what's going on? What's going on around you? What's going on in your mind? P, proceed. So literally the amount of time it would take for you to be at a stoplight, you now all of a sudden have your attention back. It could have been who knows where, right? Planning who knows what. But now those are tiny little moments that you can bring it back. And you know, I do this if I'm waiting in line somewhere. I do it when I'm waiting for my children to pick them up. Just think about that as some back pocket thing that you can add to your toolkit. See how it feels. It's not a big practice. It's a mini one. And to go back to your question, and thank you for asking it. Yeah, you know, all we did in this book is, it, that I did in this book is actually try to take everything we learned and make it accessible for people. So they can decide for themselves, kind of culminating in this 12-minute program uh, for about four weeks with the on-ramp to get people started. And they can find out about me and the research we do and the program at amishi.com. So if you remember my first name, A-M-I-S-H-I.com. And we'll have those links in our show notes as well. Thank you so much, Dr. Draw, for coming. It was such a wonderful conversation. Oh, thank you. I hope it was helpful. What a setup, Kayla. <laughs> Don't be mad. Dr. Amishi John and I are texting each other right now. Our plan works. Uh, it worked. I think everyone, it worked. I know. It's always rooted in meditation. Like, is there anything else? Like, I keep looking. There's it's nothing not else. Me. And it works. It's Dr. Amishi Jaw. She said no, they tried not. other techniques and meditation is the only thing that worked. And it's okay. You know what? You can just text me a stop <laughs> sign every time you do the stop, the stop routine. It's very simple. It's not even 12 seconds. You can do it while you're driving the kids to school and it's going to be a huge difference. You know, what's funny, though? It's not that like I understand what she was saying, where a lot of people say I'm bored and that's why I don't want to meditate. It's actually not that I'm bored. It's more that like I feel like this is going to sound really silly. This I feel no. lazy. I feel unproductive. I feel like I should be doing something else with my but time. But the irony of it is <laughs> you will be the most productive if you do it. And I understand. I understand. I understand that feeling of there's so many things to get done on the list. Why am I laying down for a few minutes to get to do this? This is this is a waste of time. But it's not. Now it's scientifically proven. You can't argue with the science. Where do you meditate? Science. 
Where do you meditate? If you in, meditate? in the bathtub or in my bed before I go to see Tanner usually me- memorizes his lines at night and goes. He loves to go into his car. So I mm-hmm. feel like baby's asleep. Husband's out of the house memorizing. And that's my time. So I'll meditate for a little bit. Only five minutes. Sometimes I have that little app. It's not a huge meditation. And then I'll get into watching whatever show I want to watch or whatever it is. I think it, I think it's... I can come up with excuses, but they're just excuses. <laughs> like, I know I can be like, well, we've also got like older kids in the house with later bedtimes. And so right. I feel like people are always walking around until it's like 10 or 1030. Like the only quiet time at our house is between 1030 and 5 a.m. I mean, you could put your noise canceling headphones on and then quiet. I know. Time at any and so point. that's what I'm saying. It's an excuse. I just don't want <laughs> but here's to. the thing. Here's the thing. So many people listening are in the exact same boat as you. And there are things that you are fantastic at in life that I cannot do. So this is just one of those things just as your friend, because I know it works and I've seen it work and I feel it work. <sighs> I know that it can help. So I'm just trying to guide you. But also, it's OK if you don't want to do it. It's OK. But that's the most annoying thing is that the results are real. Like every right. issue that I have in my life like I I don't sleep at night I carry my stress like I've major social anxiety that has just gotten worse especially being in a new city and like not knowing people are having friends like I all of you know constantly worrying as a parent like right now I'm a helicopter parent and I have constant anxiety about Josephine eating like hard food like because I'm already thinking like I had to google you know can she eat a Cheerio and like watch a thing of like, because a Cheerio has a hole in the middle. These are why (laughs) these are actually safe. And that's how stressed out I can get and make myself really make myself. And so I know that meditating would take away that because I'd be able to calm myself, my physical body, calm my mind re with the flashlight with what Dr. Jaw was saying, like re angle the flashlight to Mm -hmm. where it needs to be focusing my attention on. Wouldn't you just meditate then when you're awake at night and can't sleep? Because those seem to be within the quiet hours. And if your mind I know, is racing, I, I mean, that might actually really thing. help you go to sleep. I need to just too. get out of bed and like go do that. I mean, I've, I've just been in a really bad sleeping. Or you could do it in bed, too. I mean, whatever works. But, you know, no pressure. No pressure, but all the pressure. Because now everyone's listening and we're, we want to report back. <laughs> I've heard this because I've listened to a lot of podcast episodes recently about other people who can't sleep. And uh, one of the other things that they people I've heard on these podcasts find annoying that I also live with is that Joe just falls asleep. Like oh. he like lays his head down and mm-hmm. falls asleep. Mm-hmm. And it's so infuriating. You're so mad that he's sleeping because he's so <laughs> peaceful and so happy. And I'm just laying there and I can hear him breathe. And it <laughs> just makes me so angry. And you and feel so, like he's rubbing it in, but he's not. He's just asleep. He's not. <laughs> so one of my new things is that I need to like, obviously start maybe getting up out of bed, doing a different activity. And then, yeah. But but I or I just need to start meditating. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's my 2022. Maybe that's what's coming up. Yeah. I mean, I mean, no pressure, but all the pressure because I do think it makes a huge difference. Um, But you know what? It's okay if it's not for you. It really is. Um, But I think you should just try it for a week and see what happens. Like like Dr. Jaw said, just set a small, tiny little five minutes for five days and see if it makes a difference. That's it. I have to. You have have to. to. Okay. You guys, you heard it here. We are going to hold her accountable. Mel, look at me. We're going to hold her accountable. Five minutes for five days. You can do it. I promise. 
Ugh. Well, we hope you guys we'll enjoyed see. this episode of Directionally Challenged. We have another great one for you coming up next week. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. <laughs> Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions. Producer, Melissa DeMonts. Post-production sound by Chris Henry. Music by Joe King. And advertising partnership with ACAST.